0: I'm Dan Joseph. You're listening to the Dan Joseph's America podcast. I will tell you this. I'll admit this. I really have to do something about my social media habit. I I have been trying so hard to cut back. But, I mean, social media is addictive. I think it's addictive primarily because it's a cure for boredom. When I don't have anything else to do, social media... It's always there. It's open twenty four hours. It's the'm I'm, I'm really ashamed to admit this. It's the first thing I do when I wake up, check Facebook, check Twitter, and it's usually the last thing I do before I go to bed, and that's incredibly unhealthy. I am fully aware of that fact, but I have, and I think many others have this compulsion to check it every at least every hour or so. And I think some of it is fomo, right? Fear of missing out. I don't want to miss something important that happens in the world in the news. I, I check Twitter a lot to see what's trending and that informs me of news stories sometimes. But it's also a way of seeing how people are reacting to the stuff you post. So if I send out a tweet or if I respond to someone else's tweet, I think I, I take the likes and the reposts as some kind of validation. That it, it is. It, someone cares about what I have to say, whether it's positive or negative. It validates us as human beings to have someone interested in, in some ways, but it's also incredibly damaging. We have heard how social media, particularly Instagram, can be harmful to kids, particularly young girls who see these beautiful influencers and think that's what they're supposed to look like, and then they get body image issues. I certainly think that social media has changed the way we view beauty standards. Absolutely. And that's a big part of the problem. But but really, no social media outlet is quite as bad as Twitter. I don't think TikTok or Instagram or Facebook are nearly as bad as as X, right? That's what it's called now. I'm going to call it Twitter for, for the purpose of this podcast just because that's how most people still refer to it. But Twitter, it's not even close. The worst. And it's not because of the idea of Twitter. Twitter is a really good idea. It's the ultimate free speech platform. It allows people to share their thoughts and enter into a conversation about all sorts of things. I mean, you can talk about politics, music, culture, sports, you name it. There is a conversation going on on Twitter about that subject. Of course, my area of interest is politics for the most part. And when you enter the political world on Twitter, you realize a couple things. First, you notice that the people with the biggest followings, they're not highly respected journalists. They're not political experts. They're not even the politicians. They're not scholars. They are either political operatives or just random people who've gained a large following by posting on the network a lot. And these regular people have become thought leaders because of that following. These are people who, no matter how crazy what they say is, they're getting a lot of retweets, they're getting a lot of likes, they're getting a lot of comments, and they make good money doing it. But increasingly, these thought leaders on Twitter represent the most extreme and provocative elements of of politics in the United States. One of the most popular conservative profiles right now on Twitter is a guy who calls himself cat turd. You know, that's exactly what it is. It's, It's cat turd. No one knows who he is. He doesn't appear to have any real political expertise. He's just a bomb thrower. He just says provocative things. Big Trump guy, millions of followers, lots of retweets, lots of likes. So while there are a lot of thoughtful, intelligent people with deeply thought out political opinions that have no reach, somebody like cat turd has immense reach. Immense reach because of the kinds of things he says and because of the way he says it. And right now, if you go on Twitter, there are very few few moderates on Twitter. There are very few independent voices on Twitter. If you're not provocative, if you don't say controversial things, you're not going to get a following. It's just not going to happen, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of very smart, common sense folks out there who have some interesting, important things to say. But they get ignored because what people on Twitter want is fury. They want the accounts that they follow to match their intense feelings towards politics, their anger, their rage. And these accounts, like Cat Turd, appeal to a bubble mentality. These are people who want to hear certain things. And if you say these things, you are rewarded with followers and popularity. My my experience is this. I was popular on Twitter for a while. When I was a conservative activist working in that sphere, I was incredibly partisan. Whatever the Democrats were doing was wrong. Whatever Obama did was wrong. Whatever the GOP was doing was right. And I raged and I mocked the other side mercilessly. And people really liked that. And I had a sizable following, but there were Due to a whole host of circumstances, I fell off Twitter for a few years. And when I came back, the nature of conservatism had changed. And the conservatives who were the most popular on the network were almost exclusively the Trump loyalists. The the number one rule in conservative politics right now is if you are loyal to Trump, you will be rewarded. And it's true. So the most popular political accounts right now on the right are big Trump backers, and they spend their time on Twitter, even though Trump's not there. And and it seems like guys like Catterd are are pretty much there all day, and they represent not just Trumpism, but also this kind of zero-sum game in the American political world, where everything is black and white, one side is completely good, the other side is completely evil, and they get rewarded for this point of view. And, and I know that a lot of you are thinking, oh, well, it's just Twitter and those people don't influence the way I think and, and the way I form opinions. You don't think they do. And, and for many of us, they may not. But increasingly in media, which absolutely does influence how we think about things, increasingly they are adopting the same tactics that those Twitter followers and Twitter influencers use. So instead of the media – instead of the the Twitter people taking their cues from the media, the media is taking its cues from the Twitter people. You look at primetime talk shows on Fox News and MSNBC. The hosts are angrier and more provocative than they have been in the past. And the reason is because they are fighting for an increasingly polarized base – That lives on social media and in many cases is radicalized on social media. Now, I love to debate. I used to love going to the bar and and having political debates with my friends. But it's gotten too crazy now with with everything that's going on. And we've talked about this before. You risk losing friends if you discuss these things face to face. But on social media and particularly on Twitter – you are anonymous to a certain extent. Now, I will say this: when I was, I've lost a lot of people. Conservatives. There's some liberals, some former liberal friends who have knocked me, have unfriended me on Facebook or Twitter because I'm too conservative. There are also a lot of conservatives who have unfriended me on Facebook, a huge number, in fact, because I wasn't seen seen as conservative enough, not seen as loyal enough to Donald Trump. But you feel more free to say whatever you want when you're anonymous, when you feel like that. Now, what I do, and I probably shouldn't do, is I challenge posts on Twitter, and I challenge ideas on Twitter. And it's usually posts that are lobbing invective or saying something that is patently false. I don't know why I'm so inclined to do this. But it's like a drug. And there's a certain form of release When you see someone say something ridiculous or flat-out wrong and you challenge them or correct them, you feel like you're not letting them get away with it. Now, typically, the person will respond with name-calling and effective. That's generally what happens, but occasionally it turns into a positive exchange of ideas, which is good. I wish there were more of those on Twitter. But most of it is just people yelling at each other. There there are very few – open-minded people on twitter you are highly unlikely to change anyone's mind on that platform now right now on twitter there are a lot of conservatives fighting about the gop primary you have the desantis people and the haley people fighting each other but the majority of people seem to be the trump supporters and they hate both desantis and haley and their supporters i mean the whole thing is is ridiculous a lot of it seems to be the supporters of each candidate trying to convince themselves and their followers that their candidate is going to win. Again, again, so much of it is an expression of giving people what they want to hear. If I went out, if I, if I went on Twitter and I tweeted out, Trump is going to win the election in a landslide, I'd get 100 likes. i get a lot of, you know – retweets, that kind of thing. If I tweeted something more nuanced, like, well, the polls look bad for Biden and Trump could certainly win, but things have a tendency to change once the general election campaign starts, particularly with Trump on trial, I would get very little response. Because that kind of thing doesn't interest people. They don't want thoughtful. They want simple. They want confirmation of the things they already believe or the things that they want to believe. So is Twitter good or bad? And I think it's both because free speech platforms give people a voice who otherwise wouldn't have one. There are smart people out there that prior to social media were not being heard. I know a lot of them. Twitter and Facebook give those people an opportunity to get their thoughts and ideas out to others. But there are more people, in my opinion whose thoughts and ideas don't have any particular value and in some ways could even be harmful to the national conversation and the discourse. And they now have a platform for their views as well. And increasingly, we are seeing Americans gravitate towards those accounts. And I know it's it's just a minority that's on Twitter. Very few people as a percentage of the population post there. But who are they? They are the primary voters. They are the people who decide what candidates the rest of us get to vote for. They are the activists. They are the Marjorie Taylor Greens. They're the Matt Gateses. People who 10 years ago would not have any legitimacy as American thought leaders, but who now have these massive followings. And that kind of power within the party has made them extremely powerful people. So we are rewarding extreme views and behavior that would have been looked down upon 15 years ago. And it's not just MAGA. It's the, it's the far left too. I'm seeing a ton right now of Marianne Williamson supporters these days. She's the woman running for president from the far, far left. I, I don't – she's kind of like a hippie candidate. She's fringe. And you don't see a lot of Biden defenders or defenders of the GOP establishment on there, even though those are still, you know, sizable factions. As for me, I'm trying my best to limit my on time, my my online time. It's difficult. I use these outlets to promote my work. I use them to keep in contact and communicate with people who I otherwise would have lost touch with long ago. That stuff is important. But – I need to stop going on Twitter and getting in fights with stupid people. I need to stop posting political stuff on Facebook because I have learned that people are just sick of that these days. If you posted something political or a political opinion on Twitter or Facebook 10 years ago, you would have started a conversation. But now you basically get ignored because no one has the energy to fight anymore. And a lot of the thoughtful, intelligent people who love politics don't want to engage anymore because things have just gotten too angry and because they know the conversation will eventually devolve into name-calling. And, and and you know that no one is going to come away from that conversation convinced that the other side is right or is going to be likely to reconsider their views, which is disappointing because the internet and social media should have exposed us to other viewpoints and open our minds. And I will say that it has for me in, in some ways, particularly over the last decade or so. But for most people, it has had a polarizing effect. It has solidified their views because those are the only views they're seeking out. So I will say this uh, I have chosen this year not to get involved in this election as far as social media in terms of supporting a candidate. Now, I'm mean, not in the primary. And, and not in the general election. If it's Trump and Biden, I'm not going to actively support either of them. I will analyze what's going on. I will speak out on the issues and the behavior of the candidates. But I'm not going to be promoting one. I'm not going to be telling anyone who to vote for or who not to vote for. I'm going to try and approach the election itself for, for one of the first times in my lifetime as a neutral observer. I will maintain my views. I will speak openly about them, but being loyal to a politician or a movement or helping them consolidate power, it's just not something I'm interested in doing. I'm Dan Joseph. You've been listening to the Dan Joseph's America podcast. I will tell you this I have a new video coming out tomorrow. It's not political, it is something about Christmas. I think you're going to like it. It's a good one. I I try to make it funny and lighthearted, and I hope you think it is. Uh, As for the podcast, you can hear me with new episodes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every week. And you can also follow me on Twitter if you aren't scared, Uh, DanJoseph365. That is the handle. And I'm on YouTube, DanJoseph78. I'll see you on Friday.